Well, if you've been rolling with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been in this series called The Light of the World. And the idea behind the series is really, really simple. Uh, we live in a day and age where there are all sorts of people, all sorts of campaigns, all sorts of ideologies uh, claiming a light, claiming to be a, a source of salvation, that if we would just trust in them, if we would um, identify with them, if we would put into practice whatever they're selling, that we would experience a wholeness, a satisfaction, the world would go right, whatever. I mean, even this morning um, on the, the New York Times like weekend briefing, it talked about this question of uh, trying to save the soul of our nation, which is interesting because a lot of people would not acknowledge that we're a religious nation, and yet saving the soul of something is such a religious question. So we're, we're sort of this idea that everyone's saying, trust me, believe in me, I will lead you to life. And we're saying that we, we believe that too, but we believe that through one person, the poor Jewish one-time carpenter turned three-year itinerant minister who was publicly crucified outside of Jerusalem, a man named Jesus of Nazareth. In his life, in his story, and in his subsequent followers who gave their lives, believing so deeply in him, we actually say that he is the light of the world. That in him... And in our openness and relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we experience a fullness, a wholeness, a satisfaction that is not work in accordance with our circumstances, but is something deeper and realer, more real, and just satisfies, satisfies. And so as we look at this, this Light of the World series, we're trying to adopt Jesus' words, his way of life, and his worldview. If we would call ourselves followers of him, what does it mean to adopt his worldview? And we've really looked at one passage um, where Jesus is commissioning his 12 disciples, and he's sending them out as representatives of him. And the same is true for us. As those who are followers of Jesus, as representatives of him, What should embody our way of life? What should our practices look like? And this is what he says, Matthew 10, verse 7 through 8. As you go, says Jesus, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven, that is to say God's rule in our world, in our lives, in our bodies. It's here. It's come near in me. And what will accompany this message will heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And we're looking through each one of those clauses, and today what we want to focus our attention on is the one where he says, heal the sick. Heal the sick. Now, what does it mean for us as representatives of Jesus to heal the sick? Uh, the first thing I want to acknowledge is there's really one of the things that makes it really confusing about that 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 charge for us is there isn't a formula given. If you ever look at the Gospels, Jesus doesn't heal people the same way every single time. He actually has different models, different different ways of doing it. Sometimes he just like touches people. Sometimes people touch him. Sometimes he uses mud and spit and puts it on eyes. I'm glad that wasn't my way, you know, of doing it. But like there isn't a formula. 
And so if we want to look at this, there's one passage of scripture that I found to be the best, um, uh, the the clearest sort of way and approach to thinking through how we as followers of Jesus take on this task of healing the sick. And this comes from James's epistle uh, toward the end of his letter. and, And this is what he writes. He said, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is that much of the church today, we don't actually do this, right? And and I know this to be true because when you guys get sick, I'm not the first person you call, right? We have outsourced this role, this part of our job description to the medical professionals. But notice that even though we've outsourced this this role to the medical professionals, that we still can't get away from the religious dynamic, the faith present in this passage. Like, like consider consider this. Consider how much this passage in James sounds like a medical procedure. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the doctors. That is the professionals. And the doctors will pray and anoint you with oil. That is to say they will examine you and give you medical advice. Now, if you listen to their instructions, if you listen to their instructions, because the medical advice of the professionals is powerful and effective, you will be healed. Doesn't that sound like medicine is still has a religious component, has an element of faith, where we show up and we offer the intimate details of our lives to these men and women in white coats that, you know, they're wearing the vestments that separates the, the sacred and the secular, and in return for our intimate confession, they give us salvation. They, they heal our bodies. Now, why has this happened? Why have we separated, you know, our souls and our bodies? Historically, and by historically, I mean like the pre, b- before the Enlightenment, there wasn't a separation. The clergy, uh, the religious figures in a town or a village were also the medicine men and the medicine women. Sickness was not simply physical, but it was also spiritual. It was spiritual as well. But really with the, with the Cartesian split, with the Cartesian split where we separated our souls and our bodies, we said, okay, now uh, religion, pastors, they have jurisdiction in the realm of the soul, and doctors and medical professionals, they have jurisdiction in the realm of the bodies. We split apart the two. Why? A couple reasons little simplistic, but let's be real. It's how many of us would rather take cholesterol medication than have to examine certain lifestyles and change them, which is to say, to repent of them. How many of us would rather just take two of these pills or whatever it is, instead of look at our way of life, our moral, spiritual decisions, and how they might be impacting our body's effects. And and not even on an individual level. Let's look on a societal level right now. How many of us would rather just develop a vaccine that gets everyone than look 
at how the societal structuring of COVID infection rates is exposing the systemic structural racist sin in our country. No, 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 let's not deal with the moral stuff. Let's just get a vaccine for everyone and do business as usual. It's a lot easier to simply deal with the body and fix that than it is to go deeper into the spiritual root causes. And I get it, guys. I mean, the reality is, when you look at the Bible, there is a connection between our sin, that is to say, our decisions that are not leading us to God, and our body's effects. There is a connection. But I understand why we've separated the two, why we've disconnected them. Frankly, when you read the Bible, it's confusing. The Bible is confusing about what is the relationship between this connection, between our bodies and our souls, between our sin and our sickness. Like, just as a couple of examples, I mean, in James 5, we talked about it. Some sickness is the result of sin. James 5 said so. But some sickness, some pain, is the result of the Satan. Like Luke chapter 13, where Jesus says this woman, seemingly on on no charge of her own, no fault of her own, has been bound by the Satan for 18 years. Some sickness and pain and disease is actually God's doing for his divine purposes, like Job's afflictions, or Paul in 2 Corinthians, which we'll come back to later today, where he's talking about how he had a thorn in his flesh, and God said, I'm going to leave it there, which most scholars hold the thorn in his flesh was a metaphor for sickness that he had in his body, a lingering sickness. And then for those of us who pray for healing for our loved ones, sometimes our loved ones are healed. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes God doesn't speak back at all, and sometimes he heals the wrong people. Truthfully, friends, it's just a lot easier to sit and, and sort of separate the soul and the body and just you know, worry about the body without sort of the spiritual component. It's easier because that emotional ambiguity and pain is just too much. It's too much. We want something to control, which is what the religion of medicine promises us, order and control. And yet we cannot escape what Jesus said to us. Go proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven has come near and heal the sick. So what is the way forward? How do we take Jesus at his word to heal the sick? Karl Barth, he wrote a a really phenomenal essay called The Will to Be Healthy. And he has this line in the essay uh, that I want to focus on. And this is what he says. He goes, health is the strength to be as man. He means human, man or woman, human. Sickness is obviously negative in relation to health. But sickness as such is not necessarily impotence to be as man. What does he mean? This is what he means. The opposite of healthy is sick, not condemned. The opposite of saved is condemned, not sick. You can be a healthy human and completely condemned. Vice versa, you can be a sick human and completely saved. See, the the modern world is idolatrous. Because we've separated the soul and the body, we've rejected the role of our spirits 
at all. We've rejected the role that perhaps our moral decisions have a part to play in our body's health or lack thereof. And we've just held up the body as our God. The body is our God and its health or sickness is equivalent to our holiness or degeneracy. We worship at the cult of wellness. We're obsessed with perfecting our bodies, not growing old, living forever. But there is a connection, as Bart says, there is a connection between our body's health or lack thereof and our soul's condition. And it's not perfectly one-to-one. It can be confusing sometimes, but there is a connection. And we see this. We understand God's... Um, perspective on the relationship between our souls and our bodies when we go back to James. James 5.16. In the passage, it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, here's what's interesting. I want to pause there for a second. Because it says, confess your sins and pray for each other so that you may be healed. But the Greek in that phrase is not what we would have thought. When Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 tells the disciples, go heal the sick, he uses the Greek word therapuo, where we get therapy from. Therapuo, to heal the sick. But here in James, when he says, confess your sins and pray for each other so that you may be healed, he does not use the word therapuo. He uses the word sozo, which means to save. See, what God wants us to realize is there is a deeper question. There is a deeper issue than whether we are sick or well. Do we know the power of God in our souls or not? That's the question. And God will use our bodies to reveal his power to our souls. And that might take the form of healing our bodies, and that might take the form of actually not healing them. But what he wants to do, because there is a connection, is reveal his power to your soul through your body. And when we sort of have a perspective of our body through that lens, that our choices, our souls are connected to our bodies, but perhaps not as clear as we wish, then we have a whole new lens to consider what God thinks about our bodies. Because the deeper issue is not whether we are sick or well, but do we know, does our soul know the power of the living God or not? So then, what does God have to say about the relationship? And for that, I want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So a little bit of a longer passage. But this is what Paul writes about the relationship between our bodies and our souls. And this is what he says. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And that's obviously a, a metaphor for our bodies. Meanwhile, we groan. We groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. 
For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident, and we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Five things that come out of this passage. Again, when we don't separate our souls and our bodies and we view them in connection, what does God want to reveal to us about their relationship? Five things he wants to reveal. Number one, we will always have a body. I know, I don't know, you know, your theology, where you're coming from, but let me just shoot you straight. It is totally false to believe that when we die, we become Casper the ghost up in the clouds. Not true. Though that would be awesome. I don't remember if you remember that scene where they, you know what, never mind. I'm trying to go into it. We will always have a body. And in fact, what we see is the earthly body is like a seed that is sown into the ground. Now think about that. A seed is small, but it has a shell, has a brown shell. That is the earthly body, and it is sown. What does it give life to? It gives life to a tree, a flower, something that you would have never guessed that was there in the seed, ready to take root, to take form. That is the heavenly body. We will always have a body. We're not disembodied spirits. We are embodied souls. And on that, when we pass through this age into the age to come, the age that is already present, and I'll get to that in a second, but will certainly be the only thing that is present when we die, it's almost like this body, this earthly body fades, it dies, the seed dies, and the heavenly body takes shape. But we will have a body. The mortal will be swallowed up by life. Number two, our bodies are groaning and burdened, longing for redemption. Y'all, I was born with golden heart syndrome in a small way. I've had lots of major surgeries. I have scoliosis in my back. This is going to get a little weird, but whatever, we're going to go with it. Um, I, I have scoliosis in my back, which means when I try to stretch, there's a part of my back that no matter how hard I stretch, I can never stretch it. So it's like an itch that goes on forever that I can't scratch. I've definitely had some sick fantasies of getting to heaven and finally stretching my back and being like, this is the greatest thing ever, right? Our bodies are burdened and groaning, longing for redemption, we sense, we know it. We're not made to decay and to die. We're made for life. And not just the extreme stuff, not just like cancer or the pandemic, but persistent pains. How many of you live with persistent pain? How many of you live with mental anguish, with an inability for the body to work as it was designed? Our bodies are burdened, longing for redemption. As Paul says, we do not wish to be unclothed, we don't wish to not have a body. We just want the body to work as it's supposed to. We want to be clothed with the heavenly dwelling. 
So we will always have a body, but we're burdened right now. Number three, the Holy Spirit has been given to our bodies as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And this is the part where we see all throughout Jesus' ministry, where he heals people, where the church still has a ministry of healing the body. Why? Because the spirit of the resurrected Jesus dwells in us, dwells in the church. And therefore, we already have a deposit guaranteeing the types of bodies we're going to experience to an exponential degree to come. So we're beginning to experience the first signs of that heavenly body. We see the lame walk. We see the blind see. We see the deaf hear. We see those of us who contract certain diseases or certain conditions be healed. We see the barren conceive. We see back straighten. So we pray for healing because we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in our bodies, beginning to invigorate them with the life of the heavenly body. Number four, our bodies are connected to our decisions. Hopefully I've already proved that by now. Our bodies are connected. We cannot separate them. The decisions we make in the body affect our souls. The, the way our souls think, the way our, our beings sort of exercise their agency and their will affect our bodies, affect our minds. They do. They're connected. So Paul says we make it our goal to please him, whether at home in the body or away from it. There is a connection. And number five, and most important, we are healed today so as to sacrifice our life tomorrow. I mean, think about it. Jesus. Jesus healed so many people's bodies. But what, where did ultimate salvation come from? It came when Jesus laid down his body as a demonstration of love, as a sacrifice of love for people. Ultimate salvation comes through the cross where we lay down our lives because we love God and we love our neighbor more than we love ourselves. And, and in fact, when Jesus was on the cross, that's what everyone was crying. They were like, he saved others, meaning he healed others. Let him heal himself. And he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He healed others because it awoke them to the reality of God's kingdom in this world. The reality of God's personal nature, the want to draw close, to be intimate with us. He healed others because it awoke them. But he knew that he was healing today only to be hoisted on a cross tomorrow. So to us. We heal today. We demand that God's spirit take residence in your body and in my body today. Only knowing that I'm going to ask you to lay down your body tomorrow. Because that is where the full demonstration of the power of God rests. That is where it is. I mean, even in this COVID situation, and I, I want to tread carefully here, we are called to be people of love. And so therefore, we're going to make decisions as a church that are not reckless, that are not casual, that are, that are full of love for your body and for others' bodies. But don't be mistaken. My job as your pastor is not to save your body. My job as your pastor is to present the living God to such a degree that you're going to want to lay down your body for him. 
That's my job, and that's our calling. Now, don't swing me to the other end and say, therefore, we're not going to take it seriously. Of course we are. Of course we are. But there are more important things about our life than staying alive. How many people do we know are alive but not really living? Right? There's a relationship between our bodies and our souls. But our ultimate calling is to heal bodies today. To pronounce the kingdom of God in bodies as a deposit of the Holy Spirit's work only to then ask them to lay it down tomorrow. I lost my place right there. (laughs) And so the reality, friends, is that Jesus, Jesus, everywhere he went, he healed. He healed, he healed, he healed. But when it came time to heal himself, he didn't heal. He laid it down. And that, that is the paradox of the church. We actually affirm the body. We Christians, we love the physical stuff. We love bread and wine. We love the grass and mountains. We love the bodies. We love animals. We love bodies. But we recognize that they are only a sign. And they retain within them the fall, our rebellion. And therefore, we are inviting the kingdom of God back into our bodies today as a first fruits of his life, of his spirit, only to lay them down tomorrow so that our souls, so that the bodies can be swallowed up by what is truly eternal and lasting. And so as we sort of close this up, we close our time, what do we do with this? How do we begin to take steps of faith toward God? I don't have a formula for you, only this one idea. When we look at James 5, Did you notice how much James told the church to pray? Notice, he goes, is any among you suffering? Pray. Any among you cheerful and happy? Sing praise. Any among you sick? Call the elders and they'll pray for you. Confess your sins and you'll be restored because the prayer of faith will save the sick. Sins will be forgiven and the body will be raised up. Do you want to know the formula to understanding the relationship between our souls and our bodies? Every situation, every moment, bring it to God. Pray. Let him speak into it. And when you do, when you bring your body's sickness, your body's pain, when you bring your friends' bodies into the presence of God, truly make yourself open to the prospect that God is alive and wants to intervene, wants to work. When you do that, you're going to see some things happen. You're going to see healing. Healing does happen. I have stories that I can share for days. Many people on our staff have the same. You probably have the same. Healing happens. And I also want to pause and say here, don't think that the healing is simply miraculous. Or like God is anti-medicine. I'm not saying that at all. God sometimes heals through the medical procedures that God has uh, allowed us to understand. I mean, I'm reminded of 2 Kings chapter 5 where Naaman, who's the Syrian commander, the, the, the commander of the armies of Syria, he comes to Elisha the prophet and he asks for healing. And you know what Elisha says to him? He says, go to the Jordan River and wash seven times. Basically wash and your leprosy will be healed. He gives like a very mundane, a very ordinary medical procedure. And he does it and he's healed. But bring it to God first. Let God speak into it. 
John Wimber, who's very famous, he, he started a, um, the Vineyard Churches, and he was known as a man where there was lots of healings attributed to his ministry. One of my favorite stories, because he was always so quick to say, it's not just the supernatural at the expense of, of how we live our lives. He said there is a connection between the decisions we make in our bodies and how they work. And toward the end of, of his life, there was a boy who was brought to him, and he had an undiagnosed condition. And they were praying for his healing and praying for his healing. And he wasn't being healed, but then John Wimber, he got a vision of like big leafy greens out of nowhere. And he's like, I feel like the kids should be eating big leafy greens. And so he did. The parents started like uh, uh, feeding him big leafy greens. John Wimber ended up dying in this period of time. And they found later on, they were able to diagnose the boy's condition. And something about the condition was counteracted by big leafy greens. It ended up saving him. But notice, sometimes healing happens, but we bring, we bring it all to the Lord. And, and sometimes, guys, when we pray, when we bring it to God, sometimes healing does not happen. It doesn't. Which in ways that take much time to work themselves out, still demonstrate the power of God in the sick person's body or in the, the, the community's trust, knowing that God is still saving our souls in deeper and more profound ways. I mean, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, who literally healed others just like Jesus, he's told that he has a thorn in his flesh, a thorn in his flesh that won't go away, and the Lord won't heal it. He's literally sick healing other sick people. That is the paradox of the gospel. So sometimes healing doesn't happen, but in both cases, it's the same prescription. Pray. Even Paul, who was not healed, what are we, what are we told? He says, three times I pleaded with God to heal me. I still asked God to take it away, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness here. It's so that you won't be conceited. Paul still prayed. He didn't just accept it on the front end, like, oh, I guess God just wants me to be sick. He said, Lord, take this from me. I know that you can heal my body. Heal it. And he let God speak into a situation. But in both cases, there was this faith that God is the Lord of both our souls and our bodies, and he can speak. He can heal. He can act. Do we trust him? Are we willing to step into that place? And so I want to invite the band back up. And I just want to challenge us, guys. I want to challenge us. If this has been convincing at all or, or compelling, I want to challenge us to bring our bodies or the bodies of our loved ones to our friends or to, to God. To God. And say, Lord, see this. See my pain. See this sickness. Lord, will you speak into it? Or perhaps, perhaps, according to James, you don't need to bring it to God yourself. You need to bring it to an elder. You need to bring it to a trusted friend because there's some element of unconfessed sin, some element in your heart that actually is related to a, a, a way of living that is destroying your soul. And we need to confess that sin to one another so that we can pray. We have a prayer team standing by. 
I think we'll, we'll drop the link in the chat, but you can, either, you can either put your prayer request right there in the chat if you feel bold, and I would challenge you to do it. Step out in faith and say, I need prayer for this. But also you can, you can privately request prayer, and our prayer team would love to, to seek the Lord on your behalf and to pray. But just so you know, we're not just going to heal the body and let your soul stay where it, where it is. The two are connected. So what God wants to do in your body, he wants to do even more in your soul. And often when healing occurs, it's because it draws people out of a certain place. And so let's pray, and then we're going to sing a song of response. And as you need to, to seek prayer uh, in the chat bar or to, to seek prayer privately from the prayer team, please do that. They are standing by and available for you right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we confess that you are the one who healed our bodies today to be put up on a cross tomorrow. We confess, Lord, that you are, you are such a lover of the body. You love the physical things. You love good food. Heaven will be full of food. It's the new earth. Food isn't going away. You love our bodies. You mourn where our bodies don't work correctly. But you have also said that our souls will be filled with your presence and power and the mortal will be swallowed up by what is immortal. This body destined to decay, outwardly wasting away, inwardly is being renewed day by day. And so, Lord, I pray for my friends tuning in, and I ask right now in their hearts, you give them faith to step out and bring their bodies to you, to bring their sickness, to bring their cynicism, to bring their pain, to bring it to your church, to your elders, to not suffer silently, and to actually have faith that you can heal, that you desire to heal. And even if you don't, that you want to speak in such a way that their souls will still be healed in the process. That's who you are. And so, Lord, right now, I just, I just pray. I just challenge everyone listening. Confess your sin. Bring, bring your bodies to the Lord. Bring the bodies of your friends to the Lord. He is the great healer. He is the healer. He has promised it. And I'm willing to stake my life on it. I'm willing to go down this path. And I trust that even if he slays me ever well, I love him and serve him and trust him. Even if he says my grace is sufficient and he leaves the thorn, he's definitely going to speak to me though. He's going to tell me himself that his grace is sufficient. That's who our God is. You are not a mistake. You are being molded and shaped by the great potter. He cares for your body. He cares for your soul. Do not hide from him. So as we sing this song of response, would you consider this? Would you bring your prayers to the Lord? And let's respond together.